PV Mart stores are rooted in the communities we serve, and we are connected to the land in the same way our customers are. Whether you're an urban farmer, backyard chicken aficionado, traditional rancher, or anything in between, we offer just the right mix of homesteading, outdoor adventure, DIY, yard and garden, outdoor and workwear, husbandry, livestock, and pet supplies. Whether you're a dabbler or all in, we're here to help and strive to offer a range of products that will meet the unique needs of our customers. PV Mart will always be there with the tools, equipment, indoor or outdoor wares, seed or feed, for everyday work, fun, or connecting to the land on a whole new level. For more information, go to pvmart.com. Hi, I'm Ian Sherwood. As a songwriter and musician, I've traveled through countless small towns, heard incredible stories, and witnessed some of the amazing ways in which people in towns and cities across this vast country have woven their lives into the land they live on. It's made me think about the way I interact with my own environment and the natural world, where my family's food comes from, what impact I'm having on the planet, and what we're all leaving behind for our kids to inherit. So now I'm on a mission to learn about how I can tap back into the essence of where we all come from. Today, with so much at our fingertips, it's easy to lose sight of the most important connection we have. Welcome to Connected to the Land. If you're like me, you may take it for granted that when you plant a seed in the ground, something will likely grow. Now, maybe you know about good soil versus better soil, or perhaps you even have your own kitchen compost and know how to use it in your garden. But how much do you know about what really happens under the soil to make it nutrient-rich? How much do you know about worms? Are all worms created equal for gardening? What are your thoughts about having them in your house? As with most new things, it's good to start at the ground and work your way up. But today, on this episode of Connected to the Land... We're working our way down, into the ground, to talk about worms. They have a really bad reputation. They're icky, they're gross, they shrivel up in the driveway after a rainstorm. You can cut them in half and get two worms, right? But they're imperative to our soil's health and the overall wellness of our food chain. And I wanted to know more about them, so I called up Kathy Nesbitt, multi-award-winning entrepreneur and self-proclaimed worm advocate to get the skinny on worms and do a little laughter therapy while we're at it. Kathy, thank you for joining me on Connected to the Land. Woo! Thank you, Ian. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to have you here too. Now, um, I I caught you. We, we, we started our conversation maybe a minute or two late because you were doing a yoga session, but not just any session. You're leading a laughter yoga session. A laughter yoga, I know. <laughs> so what What the heck is laughter yoga? I just Before we get started about worms, I got to know what this is. Tell me. Let's do it. Okay, so laughter yoga is not about fancy pants or poses. It's <laughs> intentional laughter exercises designed to make us feel good. So we do. Laughter is the best medicine. Ever heard that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right? I'd say, have you had your daily dose? And dose, here we go, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and mm. endorphins. So the love drugs versus when we're stressed and we're secreting cortisol, like during a pandemic. <laughs> right, right, right. Right? So laughter is not laughing at the situation. It's laughing because of the situation. Mm. It helps us to become more resilient. So when we're in fear, um, we're not breathing properly. You know, blood, lymph. Um, oxygen leaves our brain because we go into fight, flight, or freeze. Laughter just frees us up because 
when we're laughing, ha, 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 we have to breathe in. We have to go, ha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the laughter yoga is really about deep diaphragmatic breathing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that makes, it's so, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it just is a beautiful thing. Um, you know, we can live without food and water for a few days. We can only live without oxygen for a few minutes, depending mm-hmm. how, how strong your lungs are. <laughs> and um, so laughter does force us. And I'll give you a little bit of science. I mean, it is scientifically proven that it's the best medicine. Um, the brain requires 25% more oxygen than the rest of the body as an operating principle. Uh, it's the answering machine. <laughs> right. Have you ever lost your keys, glasses, phone, and you're like flopping around? You're like, ah, yes. where are they? Got to go. Every day. The longer yeah. you flop around, you're never finding your keys, glasses, phone, because your brain is, you know, literally being deprived of oxygen. Your brain knows, oh, you're... Glasses are over there, <laughs> but you got to breathe. <laughs> so we should be still in those moments. <laughs> well, we need to take a deep breath and laugh it yeah. off. Ha ha ha! Apologize to everyone. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. And then we'll find out whatever it is what we're looking for. So, how do you conduct a, a laughter yoga session? I don't know. This is not at all what we're supposed to be talking about, but I find it fascinating, <laughs> and it's also a part of who you are too. So, so you're the instructor. How do you how do you conduct a Zoom laughter yoga session? Right, yeah. So, um, well, it's kind of interesting. It's, um, as the laughter leader, um, you just, it's, it's um, there's, you know, warm-up exercise. It is a cardiovascular workout. 10 to 15 minutes of sustained belly laughter mm. is equivalent to 300 sit-ups, 30 uh-huh. minutes on a rowing machine. Like, I could do all kinds of equivalents. Wow. So, okay. as a lot, la- yeah, I know. Wow, thank you. So, as as the leader, what I do is we do some warm-up, um, you know, gentle um, movements, um, some deep breathing, and then clapping and chanting. So it's just kind of ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. And every time we say ho or ha, we're moving our diaphragm. Mm. Okay. And our diaphragm, it's attached to all of our organs, our internal organs. So it's like jogging, internal jogging for our organs. So it's not just you're not hiring a comedian to come up and, and make people laugh. This is your... You're, uh... You're basically getting the body to uh, um, to reenact basically the same muscle movement that it would do in a laughter. Correct. Yes. Okay. Exactly. It, yeah, and yeah. it's not jokes or comedy. In fact, it, there is yeah. because jokes uh, are you know are often cultural. Laughter is right. universal. Huh. So this is about connected to the land because it's, yeah. it 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 raises the vibration. So laughter yogis, it's the 26th anniversary. It was started in India by a medical doctor, Dr. Madan Kataria, and his goal is world peace through laughing. Hmm. Can you imagine all of us laughing together? When you're laughing, you're totally present. You're not thinking about yesterday or tomorrow or a pandemic. You're just laughing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something everyone enjoys doing. And and thank you for... uh, for making the uh, the connection between the land and your and your laughter yoga as well, because uh, we could do a whole other podcast about that. I think I'm happy to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll give you a call. But you know, and and thank you for indulging me there, because I was really fascinated by it. And I wanted to know more about it. Um, so, but let let's get back to, or let's start talking about what it is that we're actually going to be talking about today, which is which is worms um, and. And what and how important they are to to composting, and how they, important they are to soil health and and uh, and our food chain. So, I mean, let's I guess let's start at the beginning. And what got you so interested in worms to begin with? <laughs> well, I believe it's why I was put on Earth. 
I was afraid of worms before starting my worm business. Huh. And I do a lot of school workshops, so I say to them, like, not right before. <laughs> like, right. what am I afraid of? I'll have a business in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, so what, what happened? Oh, gosh, let's see. I'm, I'm just uh, north of Toronto, and the landfill closed in 2002, and we started shipping garbage to the United States. Um, like shame on us for shipping our garbage out of the country mm-hmm. and double shame on the Americans for accepting our garbage for cash because it's all a business transaction. That's it. Um, and I had a solution. I had, um, you know, I, I'm an avid gardener and composter. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I bought my house, I looked after a teacher friend. Her, she had a worm bin and I didn't, I, I was an avid gardener and composter, but I mm-hmm. didn't know about worm composting. Uh, and a teacher friend was going away for the summer. That was in 93. And she asked me, would you look after my worms? I come from the school where I think that we should try things for ourselves rather than someone saying, hey, you won't like that. Oh, good. Thanks for saving me the time. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, right? Like we should try it and maybe I will like it. Anyway, yeah. so I took on the challenge because I knew that I would wanted the black gold that the worms create, the, the, the worm compost. Black gold. Okay. All right. <laughs> black gold. It's not oil. (laughs) It's worm compost. All right. (laughs) Uh, So I took on the challenge. Worms. So this is indoor composting. Indoor. So worms in the house. Yes. It's not an easy business. Just so you know. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, so, okay. So that was 93 Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to have worms in the house. And so I would open up the container, throw the food in. And so I ended up, I mean, I did end up keeping the worms alive, but I ended up being a fruit fly farmer. Uh, right, some of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Some management is required, and I didn't know about the management part, so I would just like open the thing. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to see the worms. I didn't want to be friends with them. I just wanted to feed them, keep them alive for my friend, and away we went. Mm. So uh, at the end of the summer, it took me. Oh my gosh like a long time I put on these big gloves and it took me forever to, not forever because I'd still be here, there. <laughs> it took me a while to yeah. um, separate the worms and the compost. But I did it. I, you know, sent the worms off to my friend and I was like, and I said out loud, I'm never doing worm composting again. <laughs> so even your uh, first I, worm composting out, you weren't sold even after trying it once. <laughs> well, because I had a fruit fly explosion right, and it was, it was yeah. horrible, right? I mean, right. it was just like, it was not a pleasant thing. And I think that that happened to me, Ian, because because now I'm a worm farmer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that gave me the experience of, oh, some management is required, mm-hmm. right? Fruit, fruit flies are not a necessary component, but they are decomposers. So they're just like the teeth for the worms. They're, they're, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and fruit okay. flies have a very short life, life cycle. So people are like, I don't want to have fruit flies. So I say, well, have you ever had fruit flies? And most people have. So they say yes. And I say, have you ever had a worm bin? And they say no. So I say, good. Then you know that the worms, the fruit flies don't come from the worm bin. They come from the food you're adding in. Mm. Right? So the fruit flies. So I'm going to say like bananas, orange, melon, like anything you don't generally wash, the fruit flies are still on there. They're probably on all of the fruit, but we wash the apple. We wash the pear. And then Uh, yeah. Hmm. Right, the banana. We just peel it and then eat the banana. The the fruit fly eggs are still on the peel. Yeah. So when we put that in our worm bin, if we haven't taken action, then the fruit fly eggs can hatch, and then we've got a uh, fruit fly. Huh. Um, 
Now, yeah. you say, now, two things on that. One, you say, and I want to get back to this. We haven't gotten to the point where you love <laughs> worms yet. Uh, nope. <laughs> um, but you you say that um, fruit flies will grow. Uh, they sort of arrive in your home on your fruit already. Should we be washing our fruit and vegetables in no matter what they are as soon as they come into the house? Well, it's it's one way. Um it's it's one way to mitigate the fruit fly challenge, especially you know spring to fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give them a quick rinse for sure. You want to rinse the peels before adding them to a worm bin, or if you have a collection container to your right. collection container, right? Give them a quick rinse. The fruit flags are fragile, so they'll just wash off, and then um, then you won't have the problem. Uh, but but you also mentioned that the fruit flies actually play a part in decomposition as well. So maybe. You can. Are they playing an important? Like, can you actually say, "Well, I've got the fruit flies, but actually, they're they have a they have a part to play in this whole process, and maybe I should learn uh, to love them as much as I love the worms." No, I, no, I really don't think. Well, yes, yes, that's that's true. That they, you know, they're not fruit flies. Don't carry any diseases. They're not mm -hmm. harmful to humans. They just bug us, right? We yeah. call them bugs, right. so they bug us. They're doing their job. <laughs> 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 Laugh at my lame jokes anytime. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Um, That's what we're all about. <laughs> um, yeah, so they are decomposers. And what I mean is if you have an outdoor composter and you've got fruit flies, well, that's fantastic because they're right. breaking it down. Yeah. They are decomposers, but you don't want to have fruit flies in the house. So there are other um, decomposers like mm. mites, springtails, and other bacteria that help to break down the, the matter for the worms. Okay. Well, let's get you back on track now because we're, we're talking about your, your process of, of getting, of, of falling in love with these worms. So, uh, uh, so okay, so you, you've, given, you've given the worms back to your friend now and you said never again. Then I got a, uh, it took me 15 years to get my psych degree because <laughs> oh. I went at night. So I started in 85 and I graduated in 2000. How do you like that? I say to kids, stay in school, you'll get there. <laughs> That's right. Well, I say congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So 2000, and I sound much younger anyway, being a grad of 2000, by the way, so that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, then I got a job at a group home working with challenged adults, and they, didn't, they had 10 homes and a farm, and they didn't compost, and I was like, huh, I wonder why they don't compost. When I spoke to them about composting, they said, we don't need the fertilizer because we have cows, and I was like, well, you're still creating all that organic matter that you're paying to dispose of. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, so then I thought, wow, people don't connect what they're doing. Like they're creating all of this food waste, and then um, just paying to get rid of it. Not a group home, grocery stores, anywhere that you know creates a lot of food waste, they pay yeah. a lot to get rid of it. Yeah. Otherwise, right, the 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 store would be full of fruit flies, mice, and yeah, all kinds right. of nasty stuff. That that's not a shopping experience you want to have. Right, so they have to get rid of it every day. Okay. So then I was like, oh, and the greenhouse manager said, hey, well, why don't we do worm composting? So I don't know, Ian, if you've ever done something and you're like, oh, I'm never doing that again. But then sometime later, somebody says, hey, Ian, why don't we? And whatever it was, and you're like, ooh, and you get yeah. that feeling in the pit of your stomach. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, right. ooh, no, nah. no, no, I, that didn't work last time. I'm, I'm not really interested. Yeah. That was That's ukulele for me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> Tiptoe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So go ahead. So uh, you got that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like worm composting. Okay, here we go. But I was like, this is an institution. They're not going to get 
they're not doing this tomorrow. They got to have meetings and decide and, you know, spend money. They got to plan. So I was like, oh, let me do some research. So at that point, I started to research worm composting Mm -hmm. and discovered the magic of the red wiggler worm, which is the worm that you use Mm -hmm. for worm composting. And and I fell in love. My fear of worms, which is only the unknown, right? We don't know what's, that's why we're afraid, turned into awe and I just became enamored with these worms. Hmm. I just was like, wow, okay, so here's some fun facts. Mm-hmm. Each worm has five hearts each. Wow, wow. that's a lot of love. Oh, I oh. know. Huh. Um, 800 to 1,000 in a pound, which is kind of what you need to manage a household food waste. A pound of worms, so that's four to 5,000 hearts. Holy like, cow. imagine all that love you're bringing in. Beautiful. They turn garbage into gold, like food scraps and paper, two of things that are a waste issue. Right. Um, and then they, they add the nutrients back into the soil, building up the land, making it more fertile, so we can grow more nutrient-rich food. Yeah. As, as the plants are growing, the, the nutrients are coming out of the plant, out of the soil into the plant. If we take those plant clippings and throw them in the garbage or do anything other than composting, mm-hmm. we're robbing the soil of those nutrients. Right, right. Yes, we can still grow something. It's soil. Of course we can. Yeah. It's right. not going to be as nutrient-rich as the last tomato plant, say. Now, is it is it true? I mean, this is the, the thing that every kid learns when they're out in the playground. Is that you, you cut a worm in half and you've got two worms, basically, and they can basically exist. Now you've got twice as many worms and they will... They'll basically live out their lives as, as two separate beings. Is that in fact true? I mean, when you said five hearts, I thought to myself, well, gosh, maybe there is some truth to this. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, that comes up just about every time I do a worm workshop. It's fascinating. Um, but like people just love saying, hey, you know, you can cut a worm in half and have two worms. So I yeah. say to the kids, so when, when I do school workshops, I say to the kids, okay, I, I have a little puppet and I show them, like I'll say, I'm going to, okay, that's, that's great. And I say, how many people think that you can cut a worm in half and have two worms? And they put up their hands. Okay, and then I say, how many people think that you have two live worms? Two live worms. And then they're not sure. So I'm like, okay, good. Some say yes, some say no. Mm -hmm. I say, good. So I show them my puppet. All of the hearts are between, you know, the swollen band on the worm? Yes. Like the, the, yeah, that's the clitellum. That means they're sexually mature. <laughs> okay. I yeah. know it's, not, it's not that kind of show, I know, but... <laughs> no, 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 okay. but it can't, it can't be, though. Yeah, but maybe you want to explain it a little more. It's just so... Uh, it's, 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 is it the band around the worm? You often see it a little more... Um, uh, pronounced. A- animated, pronounced in, in maybe like a cartoon or something. You might see the little band around... Am, am I thinking That's of the right. right thing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you absolutely are, yes. Yes, so once the worm has that and it's, you know you can actually see it. Then it's an adult worm. Now it's sexually mature. Worms are hermaphrodites, meaning male and female. I know, well, I'll get back to them, cutting them in half. They're male and female. Mm -hmm. But once they've mated, they both create a cocoon. And that swollen band, so they hold their, you know, fluids, whatever, for a a couple of days so that they don't impregnate themselves. And Mm -hmm. then that that, uh, swollen band secretes a substance which forms the cocoon, and then it's an outdoor egg like an outside, so it's kind of, the worm kind of backs out of it and it slides off its head. That band is clo- always closest to the head. Oh, wow. Okay. Isn't that cool? That's and so cool, that, yeah. Isn't it? I know. So they both create a cocoon, like what an equal society. <laughs> and right. up to 20 babies in each egg, five or six is average. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay, so back to cutting them in half. Yeah. So um, 
they have five hearts each. All of the hearts, all of the critical parts are between that swollen band and the head. That's like the the heart of the worm, really, literally. And they only have one head and one tail. So if you cut a worm in half or wherever, um, depending how close it is cut to that swollen band, that piece may survive, but Mm. the other end for sure will not survive. Oh, okay. And it wiggles around, like if for any fishermen, fisher people listening, um, you know, uh, if you use worms for bait and you break your worms, they keep on moving. You're like, wow, look at them. They're so alive. That's because right. there's nerve endings through throughout the whole body. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, it's a mess. I yeah. would say stop cutting your worms in half so you have twice as many worms. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Right. It sounds like it absolutely won't work. Will they, uh, will they regenerate themselves? Now, you, well, you're, you're going to have a worm with two and a half hearts now, or, or can that... Or can the worm regrow itself back to its former glory? Uh, so the hearts are all all in that ahead of that swollen band, like they're all oh, ahead okay. of that. Yeah, they're all. It's one kind of chain. Like I see. Yeah, yeah. Five bits. Yeah, if that makes sense. So what happens? What I say to if if you have really healthy soil, then you probably have lots of worms. Mm-hmm. And so when you're gardening, if you have healthy soil and you have lots of worms, likely when you're gardening, you may cut a worm. If you cut a worm, like they're called segmented creatures, they're annelids, segmented creatures. So if you cut okay. a couple of segments off the tail end by mistake when you're gardening, yeah, um, that piece will wiggle around and become part of the soil. It would just, you know, um, but that worms will regrow that those couple of segments. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Like um, starfish. Right. Okay. Like they'll grow an arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or an octopus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've called yourself a worm advocate, and it's not hard now. To, I mean, we've only been talking for 20 minutes, but it's not hard <laughs> to see why. I've already learned more than I thought possible about worms, and uh, and they are fascinating, fascinating creatures. It's easy to see why you're so enamored with them. They're, they're like the, the solution to our garbage problem is literally mm-hmm. under our feet. It's literally under our feet, and we're yeah. not even looking there. We're not even looking there, Ian, because we're looking for the high-tech, expensive solution. Like I say, if everybody managed their own waste, like imagine if everybody um, looked after all of their own organic waste and paper waste, if mm-hmm. they can do it outside in a composter, beautiful, or feed the raccoons, I don't care. <laughs> right. But if the, you live in an apartment, this is indoor composting, so there's a solution for you too. You can have this bin. So let me talk about how the vermicomposting works. Yeah, inside. please do. Yeah. You have a container. Any container will do. Um, I have a beautiful system, but, you know, you can use a Rubbermaid container or an old mm-hmm. recycling, anything, and, a box. And, and, and vermicomposting is just composting with worms. Yes, right? thank okay. you. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's thousands of types of worms, only four that have been identified as optimum for vermicomposting. We're looking for oh, surface okay. dwellers. Right. Um, so red wiggler, European nightcrawler, African nightcrawler, and perionyx, which is a tropical worm. Um, red wiggler's the the optimum um, worm in Canada, uh-huh. at least. Okay. Um, and they eat about half their weight per day in food scraps. So if you have a pound of worms, half a pound per day, three to four pounds per week, it's phenomenal. Like I mean, it's for such a little creature. They ha- they're just eating all the time. They're eating, 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 and then they're pooping out black gold. What goes in comes out. But what comes out of the worm is this incredible nutrient-rich like little nugget right. that is plant-ready. So the plants secrete um, 
we call them sugars and stuff, they secrete a substance which, which um, attracts the bugs that they need so they're protected. Right. And the worms pr- provide the food so the plants can take that, those nutrients up and, and, and flourish. And I say to people, like the kids, I say, so when we have healthy soil, there's still going to be pathogens in there. Yes, they are, but they won't be able to get to the plant. They'll be like, oh, look at that root. That looks like a nice juicy root. Boom. And then they hit this force field, which right. is the immune system for the, for the soil. Same if we're in good shape. If we're, you know, healthy and, um, you know, have good thoughts and drink lots of water and, you know, all the good things that we're, we're supposed to do. If we're healthy and have a good immune system, I mean, maybe during a pandemic it's a little bit different, but, you know, under, under normal circumstances, if somebody sneezes, we're not going to get their cold because we have a strong immune system. Right. So we're not going to get everything that's going around. Mm-hmm. We're protected. Uh, and, okay, so I, I have a little fact here, and I, I'm always wary of throwing out too many too many numbers and facts and figures and stuff like that, but I, and I think this is something that you said on your TED Talk that um, – as much as one third of house waste in North America can be composted, and we're not necessarily doing that. I find that astounding. A third of the waste that we have in a household can actually be composted and may be composted in this way. Mm, yeah. That's it's, amazing. It's true. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? It is amazing. We waste so much food. Um, and, you know, we buy all this stuff, uh, lettuce, and with a good intention, like, oh, I'm going to make a salad this week. Yeah. And then we put it in the crisper, yeah. which is where the food right. goes to die. <laughs> Sorry. And then you open it up a couple of days later, you're like, oh, right. my salad, now it's, it's mush. Right. So we throw it away. Right. Um, you know, uh, University of Guelph and York Region, did a, they did two independent studies on the amount of food waste. And they, they both came up with, you know, similar um, findings, even though they're different areas. Um, and it was about 25%. They said that uh, 25% of the food that people purchase ends up in landfill. And for a visual, imagine mm. you bring home four bags from the grocery store. Just leave one at the curb. Mm, right. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. Right? So we're throwing away money. We're wasting money. We're wasting time because it took time to buy all that stuff. It had to grow and had to do all those things. And, um, yeah, and so most of it is not being composted. Most of it just ends up in landfill. Yeah. Because there's there's a, a misconception that if we add it in the landfill, ah, it's just going to rot there anyway. No, it doesn't. Because what they do at the end of the day in the landfill is they go over it with tractors. They put, you know, some kind of cover on it, like soil or or you know, something, mm-hmm. bulldoze it, so it's flattened down, they squish out all the oxygen in an anaerobic um, environment, which means without oxygen, things just get preserved. And they will be mining landfills, and they have done some um, exploration of, of uh, landfills, you know, where they stick the probe down and then they pull out a, a sample. Right. And they've, they've, they've found newspapers like 50 years old that are still oh, readable. No. Yeah. Right, in the landfill because they don't... De- so, yeah, we can't just toss our stuff in there thinking, that's no. fine, it'll break down. It doesn't. Now, a lot of communities across our country have, have a green bin uh, or, or some kind of a composting program. Um, is that is that fine, or, or should we actually be maybe stepping it up a little bit and and doing as you say, vermicomposting in our as well on top of that? I don't want to say bad things about the green bin um, because it is uh, one solution. It's one way, and it's raised awareness. 
I'll, I'll go back to Ontario. Yeah. Um, I know, like, Nova Scotia is the only province that has banned organics from landfill. Yay, Nova Scotia. <laughs> um, right? Vancouver has, like, so certain cities have, certain areas. Nova Scotia is the only province-wide ban. Mm-hmm. We need to get to, to that because then it's like, that will be, then we'll keep that stuff out of the landfill. Bravo. Beautiful. The green bin, you know, still requires a lot of fossil fuels to truck it around. Um, right. You need special containers. You need a place to put it. You need another facility. Um, it is a way. So in Toronto, um, in 2002, the landfill closed. We started shipping garbage, right? When the largest city in a country, or when the landfill for the largest city in a country closes, big problem. Right. And they needed a big solution fast. And nobody, I don't know why they weren't thinking of it. It's like, you know, well, oh, the landfill's filling up. Oh, it's a ski hill now. <laughs> um, oh, it's too hot. No, it's a, I don't know. Anyway, um, so we started shipping to Michigan. Michigan was very unhappy with our garbage, by the way, even though Michigan is now, like, it's all politics. The whole thing is politics and business. And so just looking for the quick fix, the quick solution. And on garbage day, in places where there's a green bin and a blue bin and all the different bins, you can look out and you're like, wow, look at everyone playing the, playing the game. There's our tax, tax dollars hard at work. Mm. Imagine for a moment that we, we didn't need the green bin because everybody was looking after their organics their, themselves. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. was either composting or worm composting because there's ways, or there's Pogashi. There's really many, many different ways um, to look after your organic matter. But but the green bin allows people, just like the recycling program, gives people permission to buy more stuff because mm-hmm. then they can put their recycling in the recycling bin, even though we know that program's flawed too. Yeah. Because especially now, right, China stopped taking our recyclables. So now what? Uh-oh, now we're going to just ship them somewhere else. So it's a lot of optics, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think that a, a better solution would be for everybody to get on board Let's like this climate climate ch- change is coming, and we are responsible. It's, it's scientifically proven. There's still some deniers out there which are causing trouble because, you know, they're they're allowing people permission to not do change. We don't. Nobody likes change. Nobody wants to change, but we must mm-hmm. going forward. Okay. Well, then let's talk a little bit about what we can be doing. Uh, I mean, I want to talk about a little more specifics about. What? Let's just take an example of someone maybe living in Toronto in a condominium. Uh, they don't necessarily have room for a garden in their backyard, um, but this is still something that they can be doing, isn't it? Like you can still have a vermicomposter. I know this because my wife had one when she was living in Toronto. I'll tell you a story about that in a second. Uh, <laughs> it went okay uh, and ended ended badly. But um, <laughs> but maybe you can walk us through a little bit of the specifics of the kit that maybe if they make it themselves or where they might be able to get some of the tools and how they can get started doing this. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So for, for people in condos, I mean, sometimes um, I, I do have a beautiful system. It's called the living composter made right here in Ontario, which is a fantastic because it's Canadian made. There's that's the only one made in Canada mm-hmm. and, and most are made, you know, overseas uh, which is fine, but it's it's good to support local, and it's a beautiful system. It it's it doubles as a stool, comes in four colors, so it can match your decor, and that it's a stool. It's a functional piece of furniture for people that live in condos. Some of the condos are quite small, 
um, it, for people that wanted to also have, you know, uh, do their part for the planet. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful way to manage some of your organic stuff, some of your paper waste. And then you can use that um, black gold in your house plants. <laughs> if you don't happen to have house plants, if you know any gardening friends, it's a beautiful gift. Everybody, well, gardeners know the value of compost. Right. And vermicompost right. is just higher quality. You know, I say oh, compost right. is great. Worm compost is greater. It's processed by nature into a form that's more readily available to be taken up by the plant. Is it, uh, I mean, I'm trying to get a picture of it here for, for folks who might be thinking, okay, well, this all sounds great, but worms in my kitchen, I'm not really sure I'm, I'm behind that. So there's, a, there's literally, it can be just literally a bin with certain organic materials in it with a cover on it. Um, is there any kind of, is, do you run the risk of an odor? Like I have a compost in my kitchen right now that it's not a vermicompost, but I know that if I let it sit for too long, eventually the, I have to go and dump it into the green bin out in the carport, but this is something that is regenerative. So it, it sticks, it sticks around for a while. You're not dumping it out necessarily. Are, are there any issues that maybe people might be that you can dispel that maybe are keeping people from taking this on? Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. So this is uh, just like the fruit flies, not a necessary component. Um, Composting and worm composting are both aerobic processes, Mm -hmm. meaning with oxygen. The worms breathe through their skin, they breathe oxygen. Once it, if it ever smells bad, the oxygen has been converted to methane, to gas, right? So Mm -hmm. we breathe, so bad for us, bad for the worms. Um, It's Mm -hmm. like a built-in mechanism. It's like a built-in mechanism. So if it ever mm-hmm. smells bad, it's like, oh, action required, or okay. you'll lose your worms because they can't breathe. So what what kind of action should one take? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so perhaps too much food is being put in, or it's too oh, okay. wet, so the so the um, the moisture has squished out the excess oxygen. Um, yeah, so there's there's a few things that can be can be done for sure. You just need to fluff it up a little bit to add some oxygen in there. The microbes that, that do the decomposition, they, their population increases and decreases super fast based on conditions. So if it's okay. wet, you know, you may get some different um, organisms. And can you, can you throw anything in it that you would normally throw into a green bin? Or are there, should you be a little more selective about the things you're feeding your worms? It's selective, yes. So oh, okay. it's all your, your kind of, I, w- I would say your prep rather than your plate scrapings because you don't want to put any sodium or sauces, any vinegar, anything that would be uh, harmful yes. to the worms. Right. So okay. I say to, to do your prep, like your pre-meal uh, stuff. Your, uh, so, all your, so it's all your fruit and veg peels, coffee, tea, cooked pasta and rice can go in without sauce, mm-hmm. um, you know, bean, beans, gra- grains, plant clippings, all of that can go in. What stays out, no meat. No dairy, no sauce is kind of the mm. main categories. No so grease. The worms are vegan. <laughs> they kind of, well, okay, so they're kind of not. Oh. <laughs> they'll eat. They, they, <laughs> they, they'll eat, but it, we're doing this in the house. Right. So, um, right, you don't want to add meat in there. It, it has a tendency to rot faster than the worms can keep up. Okay. And yeah. you may attract rodents or mm, something yeah. else. Yeah. Right? You, 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 and you, so you don't want to have anything objectionable. Same with, if you're doing it outside, yeah. you, you could um, add in your pet waste. You could add in, mm, you know, okay. um, if, if you've got a gerbil or a rabbit or any of those kind of um, animals, you can add their shavings and the, the like some people have 
uh, rabbit hutch, and then they have their vermicomposter right under the rabbit hutch. So the shavings, the poop, the urine, oh, yeah. everything just falls. Right, in, It's beautiful. The worms don't mind. No. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you the story about so uh, so my wife had a condo in Toronto and she and she got a uh, a worm composter that she was actually I think she was looking after it for a friend and she's a my wife loves a grapefruit so in the morning she'd have a grapefruit and she would throw it into the worm composter and she would do this every day and she said by you know by the end of a week or two the worms were basically trying to escape because they just could not take yet another grapefruit <laughs> tossed in tossed too in. much variety <laughs> <laughs> no so here's what happens with uh, citrus so that is one of the categories that i would say to either like in schools i say don't don't put citrus at all just because oh, okay the, yeah Right. There, there is a toxic element for worms in citrus peels. Um, it, and it's, it was discovered by a grade seven student. And it's like, wow, how did he discover that? His, mm. his dad worked at DuPont. So he's a chemical engineer. Right. So fun. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a toxic element. So a little bit would be fine. Um, but, but you wouldn't want, yeah, you wouldn't want to put your grapefruit peel in there every day. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. If you think about um, citrus peels, right, we make um, cleaners out of orange, orange peels. Yeah. Right, they, oh, that's right. They, yeah. Okay. Right. So, the, yeah. so that's uh, something that you you actually don't want to even put um, orange peels in a compost because it will slow the growth. It kills the microbes. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I didn't. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Okay, but that makes perfect sense then. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I suppose in a, in an indirect way, this whole process kind of makes you a little more aware of the kinds of foods that you're eating as well. Like if you have to take a little more care in what you're throwing into your compost, because you're also, it's like a form of animal husbandry. You're looking after these worms and you're getting something from them in return. Uh, And it makes you very aware of what it is that you're putting on your own plate. Mm, That's for sure. Yes. And it's a great lesson for the kids too, like to watch a worm bin. Um, Like not watch it, literally watch it, but you Mm -hmm. know, you add your banana peel in and then, Wow, you go a couple of days later, you're wow, it's it's gone or it's almost gone. You can't even recognize it. You know, it's so fun throwing things in. I've I've been buying these really yummy dates lately and <laughs> and I I shove I, I seeds in my worm bin and then later on I'm like, Oh, I wonder what this is and I found like these dates, the the date pits have started to germinate. I could actually grow oh. a palm tree. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh. Wow, like four of them sprouted. That's how, like, and so um, avocado pits will germinate, mango yeah. pits will germinate. Um, yeah, like not that you're going to get fruit. We're not tropical yet mm-hmm. here, but, um, you know, <laughs> they do make a beautiful plant. So, and, and if you're yeah. going away on holiday, because people are like, well, oh. what if I'm going on holiday? Yeah, that's a good I question. Have a, have a great time. Have a great time for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're going away for more than two weeks, then you would want to get a worm sitter. Like have someone come in, like how you would have someone water your plants. Yeah, okay. Just have someone come in and put some apple cores in your worm bin. That's all you don't need. You could add a little bit more food, but you want to be careful not to add too much because then you're going to create anaerobic, right? Then it would, right. yeah, then you may have a problem when you get back. How do you end up separating the black gold from the worms? Obviously, you don't want to, you know... You don't want to harvest the worms when you're trying to get the the good soil out from your composter. How do you uh, how do you separate them? So if you have a 
systems, such as the living composter, yeah. how those work, they're tower composters. So you start on one tray, holes in the bottom of each tray. When the tray fills up, maybe a month and a half to two months, then you would set up the next tray, uh, put it on top, holes in the bottom so the worms will migrate up to the food, and yeah. they leave their black gold behind. So if you have a system, that's one way, and there's a bottom, uh, the base of the system collects any excess moisture, so you don't have to worry about it getting too wet, because ah. it will, you yeah. know, gravity will take it downstairs. There's a tap right at the very bottom, so you can drain off the excess moisture. If that liquid doesn't smell bad, then you can dilute it and, and water your plants and have liquid fertilizer. Oh, wow. If it yeah. does, sm- yeah, beautiful, eh? Yeah. If it doesn't smell bad, you can dilute, uh, if, it, if it smells bad, then you would just, it's become anaerobic. You don't want to put that on your plants. Right, right. Plants always require aerobic bacteria. If it the, smells, it's anaerobic. The worms migrate up. Faster. They migrate up in those systems. They follow yeah. the food. So wherever going, you, right. And okay. so, yeah. So to how to get the worms from um, just a regular container? Um, it, it, the easiest way is the dump and sort. So you dump them out on a plastic sheet, your whole container. Put it in small round piles. Um, the smaller the pile, the faster the harvest. Put it under a bright light or on a sunny day, mm-hmm. and the worms are going to go away from the light, right? You know, um, they're just going to go down. So that's why if, if your piles are small, smaller, then um, they, you know, they're going to go away. You scoop off the top, scoop around the sides, and then the worms will keep making their way down. It takes it takes time to do that, um, but it's very calming. It's a beautiful uh, process to do, unless it's your business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's harvesting again. You be. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kathy, th- you you know so much about this. It's a it's a real pleasure to talk to you about it. Um, I have talked to a lot of people on this podcast who know a lot about whatever the topic is that we're we're discussing. You know, but I've very few people I've talked to have starred in their own movie. And <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about Squirm the movie? I sure can. Can I tell you about how this came about? Yeah, you know, please do. I, yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm divinely guided um, <laughs> okay. much of the time. So our landfill closed, and we were shipping garbage to Michigan. Somehow I started, you know, I thought, oh, everyone. So I heard that a pound of worms and their descendants could transform a ton of organic waste in a year, and that the average Canadian family produces a ton of organic waste in a year. So I said, wow, every family needs a pound of worms, and I'm just the one to put a pound of worms in every house. <laughs> so I, I started doing exhibiting, and I realized, oh, people are, oh, People don't always want what you have. They might need it, but they don't want it, if that makes Mm, sense. Yeah. I was like, oh, they need this, but they don't want it. What do I do? How am I going to do this? How am I going to put worms everywhere if people are afraid, like I was? Right. Right? So then I started to do school workshops, and I created, I was, oh, what happened? I had an article, I think, in the Star, and from that, um, I got got contacted by uh, a magazine in the States called BioCycle, BioCycle. And from that article, from an article in BioCycle, which is in the States, an organization in Michigan contacted me, and we created a forum for students to share their stories. In Michigan, there's a woman, she's passed, but her name was Mary Alpehoff, and she wrote a book in the 80s called Worms Eat My Garbage. It was all about vermicomposting in the house. Mm -hmm. She was from Michigan. So hmm. my husband and I went to Michigan uh, in, I think it was 2005, to 
visit these teachers and talk about how we can do this worms. It was called Worms Without Borders. <laughs> of course, so fun. Of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> and we and on that road trip, we ended up stopping in Michigan in uh, Flint. I have no idea. Usually, when we my husband and I go on a road trip, we, you know, we don't make reservations. We just go till it gets dark, and then we find somewhere. It wasn't dark. Somehow, we ended up in Flint. And I don't know if you've ever been to Flint, Michigan. I haven't. No. It's um, it's a pretty derelict town. Mm-hmm. It's it's where Michael Moore is from, and um, when we stopped there, it seemed like you know every other place was burned out. There was very high unemployment. It seemed like a very scared populace. You know, high unemployment, no kind of no prospects. Michael Moore was from there, and he did his first movie was Roger and Me about. Mm-hmm. Um, Ford, GM, and Chrysler. That's right, yeah. Right? Okay. So I, so I got this epiphany when I was in, in Flint, Michigan, where Michael Moore is from, that, hey, Mary Alpahoff has passed. And I had asked a few people, Do, have you heard of Mary Alpahoff? And they had not. And I was like thinking, oh, my gosh, when you die, you're dead, unless somebody keeps you alive. So I thought, I'm going to keep Mary alive and mm. do a movie about her. <laughs> and Michael yeah. Moore will be the one because he's from there, she's from there. Of course, he'll want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I had a freelance writer um, interview me and write a, a letter to Michael Moore. <laughs> wow. And it was a beautiful letter about how Michigan could have been the worm capital, right? They've got all those empty GM buildings. They've yeah. got all that unemployed people there, the trash capital. They're importing all of the garbage from the surrounding states and Toronto. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I, right? I had all, like, it, it had everything. It had everything that Michael Moore could possibly have wanted. Now the challenge was, how do I get the letter to him? So I, I got on the phone. I called his agent in Los Angeles. He was very rude, by the way. <laughs> he gets people all the time. Can you, Well, I got a letter. Can I fax it to you? And if you could get it to Mr. Moore, I'm sure he would be very happy to read it. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not giving him the letter. I'm like, oh, okay. So I carried that letter around with me because the six degrees of separation. I was like, I know Michael Moore comes to Toronto every year for TIF. Uh-huh. So somebody knows him or sued him or dated him or something. <laughs> okay, <All> right. <laughs> And I was at a film festival, an, an environmental film festival, um, exhibiting, not, not with my documentary, but just exhibiting. Uh-huh. And the organizer, I just said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get Michael Moore to do this documentary. And I showed him my letter. I pulled the letter out of my pocket and I said, hey, read, read the letter I'm trying to send to Michael Moore if you happen to know anyone that knows him. <laughs> and he read that letter and his partner was there and he's like, Dave, Dave, come here. And he read the letter and he's like, we should, we should do this movie. We should do it. And then he turns to me, he's like, we, we want to do this movie. And then they, then they immediately said, oh, but you want Michael Moore to do it. And I was like, no, I want it to be a Canadian. That would be perfect. Michael All Moore right. can do too. <laughs> 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 and so this uh, Darcy Hoover, he, he followed me around for a whole year um, to my events and, and then put together that beautiful little documentary. Um. That's amazing. What an incredible story. And, and, you know, I just love how I love your passion for it. And that sounds, it comes across as maybe glib, but it also comes across as maybe just the thing that a host would say to their guest. But I mean, really, when you think about just in the short time that we've talked today, um, starting from 
not just humble beginnings of a worm advocate, but actually hating worms and being scared of them <laughs> to a part where, to the, where you were traveling around with a letter in your pocket, hoping that you're going to run into Michael Moore to produce a film and direct a film about your work. I just, I find it absolutely fascinating. And, uh, and I know that you've got a lot of irons in the fire and you're doing a lot of different things. And I really appreciate the time that you're taking today to, to talk to me about, uh, well, about lots of different things, not just not just worms. If we could bring it back to laughter, you know, the laughter yoga. I, I was going maybe oh, it was maybe around 2012. So I'd been in business 10 years, and I I chose media as my marketing strategy. So I've had hundreds of articles, TV, radio, a documentary. If you're afraid of worms and you're not, you know, you're not going to hear the message. It doesn't matter how much media I get. You're not getting. You're not hearing the message because you're like, ooh, worms, no. You're not reading that article. You're not watching that video. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was like, how am I going to get... And, and, and in 2012, you know, one more person said, ooh, worms in the house. And I was like, ha, ah, like, how am I ever going to get my message out? And I was kind of ready to, like, I was like, this is too hard. I could, I, I could just get a job and it would be way easier. <laughs> like, why do, why do I care so much? I'm not sure. Yeah. And then I was introduced to laughter yoga. And laughter yoga saved me. It saved me by allowing me to to become more resilient. Like I said, I'm not laughing at any situation. I'm just laughing to stay resilient. Yeah. And and it helped me. And I just started laughing. And then I was like, I love this. I became trained as a leader. And then I was like, I love this. I want to teach other people. And I became ta- trained as a teacher. And Ian, during this cuckoo time that we're in, mm-hmm. I'm called to do laughter yoga more than ever. I'm getting so many paid gigs to do laughter because wow. we have a mental health tsunami right now. Yeah. And laughter is the best medicine. It connects us. We, you know, we don't have to talk. We already talked about the benefits of laughter. but um, So it really helped me. So now I'm like, wow. I thought my mission was worms. And then I was like, oh, universe, can people have two missions? I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I feel like I have these two seemingly separate things, but they are connected Hmm. to the land. (laughs) Oh, wow. What a nice bow you just put on that. Um, Kathy, thank you so much. This has been a real joy talking to you. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate it. Connected to the Land is a PV Industries podcast produced by Village Sound, and I'm your host, Ian Sherwood. A special thanks to this episode's sponsor, PV Mart, the 100% Canadian-owned, down-to-earth retail chain. If you enjoyed this program, you should consider subscribing. Also, you can check us out at connectedtotheland.info, our affiliated website and a great resource for homesteading, farming, and all things connected to the land. Thanks for listening.